So with Mother's Day only about uh, two weeks away, I thought I'd start off with a quote about love for all the, all the mothers here today. But this, this one's going to make you cry, so you've got to get ready for this one. Ready? If you're, watching on, if you're watching online, call Grandma from the kitchen, because this is going to be a good one. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back, it will always be yours. If it doesn't come back, it was never yours to begin with. But if it just sits in your living room, messes up your stuff, eats your food, uses your telephone, takes your money, and doesn't appear to realize that you had set it free, you either married it or gave birth to it. Wow, the tears are flowing, right? Didn't that touch your heartstrings today? But the last time that I spoke, I, I spoke about Joseph and how God had another plan for his life because Joseph had big dreams. He, he was positioned for success, but his own brothers rejected him, betrayed him, sold him into slavery, which started a whole series of injustices in his life. But in the end, he waited on the Lord, and God was faithful to his promises. Well, today I'm going to do part two of when God has another plan, talking about the life of David. See, David had a, a similar path. He, his story was similar to Joseph. So I'm going to start the story when um, David was about 13 years old, it's estimated, and Saul was the king in Israel. But God told the prophet Samuel, it's time to get ready. We're going to go and we're going to choose the next king, the next one when Saul dies. The one that I choose, he's going to become the king next in line. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 16, starting in verse 6. And God told Samuel, don't just go to any house to look for the next king. See, God speaks to you. He's specific. He said, you go to a house of a man named Jesse, and I'm going to show you which one of his sons I'm going to choose. So 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab, who was the oldest son, and thought, surely this is the Lord's anointed. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse told his son Abinadab to step forward and walk in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, this is not the one the Lord has chosen. Next, Jesse summoned Shemiah, but Samuel said, neither is this the one that the Lord has chosen. In the same way, all seven of Jesse's sons were presented to Samuel. 
But Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen any of these. Then Samuel asked, Are these all the sons you have? There is still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes, and the Lord said, This is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David, which means he set him apart. He chose him and empowered him with the Holy Spirit to fulfill the task of being king when the time came. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So Samuel came to Jesse's house, and God told him, one of these sons is going to be chosen as king. So Jesse, he, he sent all his oldest sons. These were the big, strong guys, the powerful-looking guys. And Samuel said, surely that's the one. He looks like a king. And God spoke to him and said, no, not that one, not that one. So Samuel asked Jesse, well, do you have any other sons? He said, there's just one more. His name is David. He's the youngest one, but he just stays out there with the sheep. See, he's just a nobody. You don't, you don't want him for king. You want one of these big, strong, tough-looking guys. But God told Samuel, don't be impressed. When you look at people, don't be impressed by their outward appearance. Because that's what people are impressed with that. See, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart of the person. You, you see, in the same way, maybe some of you, you feel you've been overlooked, misjudged, undervalued, forgotten, passed over by people. As, as Pastor George preached last week, maybe people ha have labeled you. Very often when people label you, they label you by your worst failure, by your worst quality. But you see, when, God, when people see a nobody or a failure, God looks into your heart. He sees purpose. He sees destiny. He sees the heart of a king. You see, the scripture says that you belong to God. People don't get to determine how much you're worth or what your value is. And God says that you are his treasure. You are the apple of his eye. That you are beloved. You are a reflection of his glory. So right now, in Jesus' name, I break off you any label that's been attached to you by people. Telling you you're not good enough. You're, you're, you're not worth it. You have to let it go. Just as Pastor George preached last week, we got to let those labels go. Those, peop those people who spoke injustice over you. And since then, you've never been able to move forward. Right now, let that be broken by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Bible says you are a nation of kings and priests. 
you, you can walk with your head held high. You can look into the eyes of any person because the greatness of God lives in you. You see, again, this happened about the age, the age between the age of 10 and 13, it's estimated, where David, he was set apart, anointed as the next king. Then a few years later, at the age of about 17, David, he looked into the eyes of the giant Goliath, who was the enemy, and nobody was willing to face him. And remember, he took a stone, and he defeated the giant. He knocked him out with one stone. You know what that means? He rocked him to sleep. Don't you get it, Pastor George? He rocked him to sleep. You looked a little confused back there. I couldn't figure it out why. Now David was celebrated. Not only was he going to be the next king, but he was known as the giant killer. So by the time David was a teenager, as we used to say back in the 60s, he had it made in the shade. He, he was rewarded after he killed the giant the king rewarded him by moving him into the palace. So at 17, he was living in the palace, and he was married to the king's daughter. He was headed for success. There were great plans, great dreams, great things ahead. Not only that, but every time he came into the city, it says that the women danced and sang and played tambourines. They wrote songs about him. Well, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. That's the life right there, right? Every time you come walking down the block, all the women come out, start singing songs about you and dancing. There you are in the palace, married, married to the princess. That's a picture-perfect life right there. But just as with Joseph, all of a sudden, the story turns tragic. You see, King Saul was supposed to be David's spiritual mentor and father, but he didn't like the idea that David was getting attention, more attention than him. He, he wanted the spotlight to himself. And when David got a little too popular, a little too anointed, Saul threw a spear at him. You see, and I'm sorry if that's ever happened to any of you in church, that, that a spiritual mentor or, or leader threw a spear at you because, out of jealousy. So Saul decided that David was too much of a threat. So he decided, he said, we're going to send him into the battles against the real tough guys. And hopefully when he's out there, they'll kill him. We'll get rid of him. And those women will stop singing those songs about him and they'll sing about me again. See, that's not the job of a spiritual leader. A spiritual leader rejoices when the people of God, when the spiritual children rise up and do greater things than they'll ever do. That is the sign of a weak, paranoid leader, the, the person who has to shut you down because you're, you're getting too popular, too powerful. 
When, when that didn't work, Saul set out to kill David himself. It says in the scripture, Saul became still more afraid of him, and he remained his enemy the rest of his days. His own spiritual mentor and, and father, the one who was supposed to raise him up and love him, he said, I'm going to kill you. He vowed to kill not only David, but anyone who helped him. Well, what happened to David's dreams? What happened to the palace? What happened to the songs? For the next seven years, David ran from place to place, hiding in caves. Everywhere he went, Saul was after him, and then he had to run again. One bad situation, one injustice after another. And who were his friends? He, he gathered around him a bunch of friends because his people stood with Saul, and they rejected him also, his own people, his own nation. So it says, all who were down on their luck came around, losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. Well, you got to get the friends wherever you could get them, I guess. Those were the guys that walk with him, the, the gang members, the troublemakers, the, mo the, the motorcycle gang. Th those were the guys that came to him, but they stood with him because he was a true father. He, he took them and made them into mighty warriors. So because he was rejected by his own people, David lived among the nation of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were Israel's enemy. He even tried to join their army, and they rejected him. That's a bad day when the devil rejects you, you know that? <laughs> but you know you're messed up then when you try to join the devil's army, and he don't want you. And he lived in a town called Ziklag. And on one occasion, David and his men went out to war. And while they were out, there's a nation called the Amalekites. And they were a vicious, violent nation. And they came into Ziklag, the place where David and his men and, and their families lived. And the scripture says they burned down the whole city. They took all of David's men's belonging and they took all of their wives and children and went back. They took them back into the enemy's camp. So I'm going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 3. It says, when David and his men, they saw the ruins and realized what had happened to their families, they wept until they could weep no more. Down to verse 6. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters, and they began to st talk of stoning him. After all the years of rejection and betrayal and hiding and running and battling, David came to a breaking point. He had a, a make-or-break moment. He had a choice to make. 
he was in a place now where even his own friends were rejected him. And it says they were so filled with sorrow and they were broken. What was David going to do? Was he going to just give up and walk away? See, he had now he had no one to turn to. His family didn't want him. His nation didn't want him. Even the enemy didn't want him. You see, sometimes in life, you can get so wounded and frustrated and disappointed, and you can become overwhelmed with negative thoughts and emotions that tell you, just give up the fight. You, you got no chance. Nobody wants you. This thing is over. And those negative thoughts, see, that's why it, in 2 Corinthians 10, it says take every thought captive because the enemy will put those discouraging thoughts in your head telling you you're worthless. Nobody wants you. You're a failure. It's all over for you. And those emotions that come. Every one of you have known at one point what that's like, that feeling of uh, that disappointment when you're just overwhelmed with the situation and sorrow. So what did David do? Well, I'm going to read the end of verse 6. It says, David strengthened, or he encouraged himself in the Lord. He began to fight. He didn't fight people. He wasn't fighting the enemy. He began to take a stand, and he, he came into the presence of God when nobody wanted him, when he was kicked out of every place he went. He became a mockery, a joke. Even in that, the Scripture says he, he, he refused to quit. See, that's what it means to be a warrior in the kingdom of God. doesn't mean you're some tough guy. It means you refuse to give up. And David came to the Lord. He was a worshiper. Do you think when you're singing songs here in the morning, we're doing this just to inspire you so you could go home feeling goosebumps? When you sing songs in the morning, you are warring against the enemy. When you begin to sing, you come into the presence of God and the enemies are scattered. The enemy starts to flee at the presence of God. That was what David knew. See, David, when he was prepared, because when he was a shepherd, he had to fight off lions and bears. And he said, the Lord was with me. See, some of the difficulties, some of the injustices you're going through now are preparing you for the great things. So that when you face the big enemies, you, you just take a stand. You look him right in the eye and say, the Lord God is against you. The God of the armies of Israel. And David strengthened himself. See, maybe there's no one around you sometimes. Nobody, nobody to bring you back. No one to encourage you. But we got to come to God. There's times 
Almost every night for the last months, I've been waking up in the middle of the night. And every night, I got to come back to God and strengthen myself in him to keep going. You see, sometimes even the strongest warriors get worn out. In Psalm 43, verse 5, it shows the process of what David did when he was overwhelmed. And I've read this scripture before, and I'm going to keep on reading it because I read it to myself every day. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. David said, I refuse to let my emotions control me. I won't give in to that, those negative thoughts, to those, to those people who are persecuting me. I, I'm not going to back down. I, he said, I speak to my soul. Your soul is your thoughts and emotions. And I say, I, I tell those, oh, that overwhelming sorrow, you, you, you have no place in me. You put your trust in God. You see, if, if you're willing to give in to that neg- those negative thoughts, you, you'll be right out the door. You've got to stand. That, that's what it means to fight in the kingdom of God. It means I stand, and when the enemy throws the negativity, and, and when those feelings, that sick depression starts to rise up, I say, you put your hope in God. I refuse to give in to let that feeling, those emotions overtake me. And he went to God, David went to God. And God told him, you go back to the enemy's camp, and you, you shall overtake them, and you go get your family back. You fight for your family. You see, I, I see a lot of people, they fight to win, to, to win a spouse, but then they don't fight for their marriage. We fight for our families. We fight for our church. We fight for our ministries, our finances. It's not all, well, God just does it all for me. God, I'm mad at God because he didn't do this. He didn't do that. No, God's given you all the weapons and tools and authority you need to press forward in this life. I would have been done 20, 30 years ago. If I just gave in to all the horrendous things that I've gone through. See, you got to decide right now that you're going to take a stand when, when trouble comes. Sometimes fighting means just not giving up. See, the, the apostle Paul, he said, I fought the good fight of faith. He didn't mean he battled people. He meant He fought through the negativity and the confusion and the rejection and the persecution and all that he he suffered, and he kept on going. That's why we have the church today. That's why, because of Paul, he, he took the gospel to the nations. He wouldn't give up. They stoned him. 
he, he, he was shipwrecked. He was beaten, whipped, and he kept going. He said, I'm going to keep coming. That, that's what Christianity 101 looks like. Not, oh, God didn't answer my prayer, poor me. I, I, I would be finished if I thought that way. You see, sometimes we just wait on God. We're resting in him. I preach that a lot. We, we just come to God. We rest. But sometimes you got to look those devils right in the face and kick them right out of your house, right out of your bank account, right out of your job. You see, the things that happened to David and, and to Paul, the apostle, there was no fault of their own. Things happened to them, in, one injustice after another. They didn't open the door. They weren't in sin. They didn't mess up. But sometimes in life, we mess ourselves up. Anyone here beside me? Hey, you, you, you wish you could go back to that time and, and, and make another decision. You would have kicked that bum out. You wouldn't have said what you said. You wouldn't have done that with your money if you had it to do over again. Maybe you messed up your own life, your own finances, your own marriage. Well, I have good news for you because in the mercy and grace of God, if you begin to fight, fight in war in the spirit and worship and take a stand, in the mercy and grace of God, he says, I'll restore it all back to you. It says in the book of Joel that God will restore back to you everything the enemy's taken from you, even if it was your fault. He told that to Israel. They messed up themselves. They rebelled against God. But God said that if you'll turn back to me and take a stand, I will restore back everything that's been lost in your life. All those wasted years. So don't allow that voice in your head that says, you made your bed, now you're lying in it. Nothing's ever going to change for you. That's a lie from hell. Every day in God is a new day, a new beginning, a new chance in him. I'm going to ask Derek to come. Where'd he go? He's hard to miss. Oh, here he is. Good afternoon, church. God bless you all. Um, this story that uh, Pastor Gary was talking about kind of fits me. Um, when I first came to the Lord, you know, everything was peachy. Everything was good. Um, I was having a good relationship with my daughter, and as we were coming to church every Sunday, I was picking her up, and we were coming together. Um, before I go deeper into it, I just want to just say for uh, families that have children, especially children that are of age where they make their own decisions, our expectations sometimes fall short. Continue to love them through the storm. Because God is faithful to bring them back. 
So let me go into the story. I just wanted to get that across. Uh, one particular day, I got a phone call that um, my daughter wasn't going to come on Sunday. So I didn't think anything of it. I said, okay. Then it became another Sunday. Then it became another Sunday. Then I started to get a little confused. Started thinking, what did I do? Did I do anything? Um, you know, the enemy comes and starts putting thoughts in your mind, you know, your past and all that. Come to find out that, um, that my daughter just didn't want to be around me at, during that time. And I was finding it very hard as a father to process that. To process me walking with God and me being a parent to my child and dealing with my past because that's what it was about. Yes, God forgave me, but sometimes our family members don't. And not because they don't mean to, I feel it's because they don't understand. And we, as Christians, have to help them to understand. So I'm new to this, and um, God is faithful, so he led me to a person that is my accountability partner. And as I'm texting my daughter during this time, I wasn't getting a response back. And there would be days that would go by and I wouldn't get a response. I would leave voice messages and I wouldn't get a return phone call. And that started to take a toll on me. One particular day, <laughs> I texted my daughter and um, she didn't respond. But I came across a scripture that said that your children are supposed to honor your mother, your parents, your mother and father. And I was supposed to meet my accountability partner that, that evening. So I was like, yeah, I got something now. I got something solid that I can come with and, f and build my foundation on that and, and say that I'm right and my daughter's wrong. So I'm walking in and I'm meeting up with him and I'm ready to like blah, 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 blah. You know, just give him the dilly-dilly, right? And um, so I'm giving it to him. And, you know, God is faithful to show us a different way because a lot of our ways are not his ways. Our thoughts are not his thoughts. So the brother comes out and he says to me, because it was important for me that my daughter returned the text. And I was jumping on that. And I said, and I came out, when I came out with honor your mother and father, and I'm like, she's got to do that. And she's not doing that, and I'm right. He says two things to me. He says, is it important that you get the text back, or is it important that you have a relationship with her? And I was like, Lord, what are you doing right now? Because that don't sound right. You know what I'm saying? It's important for me to get a text message with her so I can have a relationship with her. But I had to absorb that. And again, my accountability partner asked me the same question. And at that moment, God spoke to me. And I came out and I said, my relationship with my daughter is more important. 
thing he said to me, what Pastor Gary was saying before, you got to fight. So then I started changing my thought process, and things started changing. And during my prayer time, the Lord led me to what Pastor George has shared with us about the lost and found. And that scripture came upon me, and it spoke to me. I continued to love my daughter during that whole time that I was getting rejected. I still sent her text messages telling her I love her. I still left her voice messages telling her I love her. The times that I did have conversations with her, they weren't pleasant, and I was getting daggers thrown at me, but I was still loving her. I was fighting the good fight of faith and trusting the Lord because that's all I had. I could not control the situation because my daughter was of age, and it was hard for me to control her. We can control our young ones because they live with us, but what about when they're on their own? And during this time, it was really hard for me, but I kept pressing on. I kept coming to church. I kept sharing with people about their children, what they were going through. And that's what God will do. God will comfort us with somebody else going through the same situation that we are. And we are there as the church to comfort each other. The Bible says, confess to one another and you will be healed. So that's what I was doing during this time. Fast forward. I'm fighting. I'm going through it. My aunt is homebound, and she needed a help aid. And my daughter does that for a living. She reached out to her. My aunt kept it from me because she didn't want to think that, I was, that she was getting in the middle of us. But when she finally told me, I saw God in that. I saw God calling my aunt to bring my daughter back to the family. Because each time that my aunt was talking to my daughter, she was mentioning about me and about my progress with God and about my walk, about how I'm continuing to walk through the storm even though I don't know the final outcome. Because of that, my daughter ended up calling me on the phone because she had a situation. And from that moment on, we started talking. And we never spoke about the past. We only kept talking about what the situation was that she was going through. God allowed our relationship to be restored. It wasn't about... wasn't about now you call me now you need me all I kept thinking about was what God promised me he said let her go continue to love her and I promise you that she's going to come back to you and nothing's going to separate you during the conversation that I had with my daughter as we started talking that con that came to pass my daughter said to me in a conversation dad Nothing is ever going to separate us again. Nothing. So stay strong. Be courageous. Love your children. God bless.
Amen. I'm going to ask um, Lee and Nathaniel to come. And, and while they're coming, I, I just want to tell you one of the things that helps me to help me through the years to fight, to become a warrior, because I had a good example. See, before my wife passed away, through all the sicknesses, through all the years of pain, doctor visits, maybe 30 hospital, hospitalizations, she refused to quit. I watched her over and over again. If you could put the, the picture up. So I put it on Facebook this week. See, that's what a real warrior looks like right there. Over and over, the doctors told her, you'll never walk again. You're not going to make it. You're going to have to live in a nursing home. And every time she refused the diagnosis, and she kept fighting back. I, I, I believe she left a legacy for every one of us. That when the odds are against us, when the enemy's at the doorstep, we're going to fight. Tell them, Lee. feel a little bit like David this morning. I feel like there's an enemy in the camp. And I feel like this giant Philistine has risen up to try to make you believe that for some reason God is not going to bring you through. To make you believe that God is not going to do what he said he promised you that he was going to do. I feel a little bit like David this morning with a little rock in my hand and a really big, big giant. This, this week I heard in my spirit as I was praying... The Lord said to me, there's an enemy. He said, and he seems real big, and he's trying to make the people believe, like as if they're not walking in their promise, like as if they're not in the place in which I've called them. And then I sort of had a visual as I came into worship this morning, and I saw, I saw someone, maybe some of you in here, standing at the threshold of the door in your house, and I saw like the enemy have his foot right on your throat like putting this pressure on you, like trying to snuff out your breath, like trying to say, nah, you're not going to worship. Nah, you're not going to do none of that. Nah, that's, nah, you're not going to do that. Nah, because all these problems that I brought to your doorstep, I won't allow you to make you believe that God is good. Nah, and I, I, I hear in the spirit, I hear in the spirit that there's a pressure, there's a pressure, there's a pressing and it's not coming from God. It is not coming from God. And it's to make you believe that this thing is not of God, that what you're walking through, like Derek was talking before, that there's a storm, that there's something that's come, is to make you believe that God's not going to fulfill his plan. But I'm telling you this morning that God is faithful. And we got to worship this morning. And right before we do, I just want to tell you, I want to read one scripture to you. I want to read a scripture to you. And it's in... Um, in 2 Chronicles 20, and it's about King Jehoshaphat. And there was an enemy that came into the land. He was the king of Judah, the king of Israel. There was an enemy that came into the land, and he, the Bible says in verse 3 that he was afraid. So he asked the Lord what to do. And the scripture goes on to say that a Levite, a Levite in, in the tribes of Israel were the worshipers. They were the worshipers. And a Levite arose and told him what to do. And down in verse, um, and down in verse 16, it says, 
The Levites said, so here's what you must do. Tomorrow the enemy's armies will march through the desert around the town of Jeruel. March down to meet them at the town of Ziz as they come up in the valley. And then verse 17 says, verse 17 says you won't even have to fight. The, ver the scripture says, he's, the, the Levite said, the worshiper said, just take your positions and watch the Lord rescue you from the enemy. Don't be afraid. Just do as you're told. As you march out tomorrow, the Lord will be there with you. And then down in verse 22, it simply says, as soon as they began singing, as soon as they began singing, not fighting back with loved ones, not fighting the church, not fighting with themselves. As soon as they began singing, the Lord confused the entire enemy camp that came to rise up into the land of Israel to take their land. And all they did was open their mouth and all they did was sing and all they did was worship. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that there's an enemy that's risen up against my family. And I'm going to tell you today, it's war, because I will not back down. And if you are of the same mindset that I am, if you're ready to fight in the spirit and take back everything that the enemy has stolen from you, I want you to stand to your feet this morning. Because like I said, there are some of you that you feel the pressure, like I saw in a vision, there's like pressure, like the enemy got you under his foot. But that's funny, that's funny because the scripture says clearly that the enemy is under our feet, that God uses the enemy, his head as a footstool. And I know that this morning I'm ready to use the enemy's head as my footstool. Because all this attack is going to do, it's going to give you leverage in the spirit. It's going to give you authority in the kingdom of God. It's going to give you authority in your homes. And yet all God requires of you is to worship. All he says to do is to sing. Come on, somebody. All God says is for you to open your mouth and sing. It don't get no easier than that. Come on, God didn't make this difficult for us people. God didn't say this is going to take forever and a day. He said, no, open your mouth and sing unto the Lord. And I will come in like a flood and I'll confuse your enemy. And I'll take everything that was meant for your evil. And I will turn it around for your good. I'm telling you that as we lift our voice this morning, there's an enemy. There's an enemy that's about to be really confused. And not because, not just because we open our mouths to sing, but because we overcome by the power of the blood of Jesus and the power of his resurrection. And he's come this morning to make all things new. So we're going to sing this song together. It's called Surrounded, and it's real easy. It's a real easy song. And only, the only words to the song are, this is how I fight my battles. And it may look like I'm surrounded but I'm surrounded by you. Who are we surrounded by? We're surrounded by the Lord. It may look like we're surrounded by our enemies, but we're not surrounded by our enemies. We're surrounded by his presence. We're surrounded by the, uh, the angel armies that God sends to fight on our behalf. We are surrounded in the presence of God this morning. And I declare that every enemy is gonna be defeated. And I don't say that by my own authority. Let me be very clear. I stand five foot one. I'm an orphan. 
I have nothing that was in my own strength that could make me or give me any authority. I stand under the authority of the presence of God and the blood of Jesus Christ. And this is how we're going to win. This is how we're going to fight our battles. Amen. Hit 
singing songs. We're winning victories. We're contending for marriages, for children, for ministries, for church, for finances. This is how we do it. We war in the spirit. We call down the presence of, of God, the mighty warrior. He is mighty in battle. He is the captain of the army of hosts. So we're going to sing this one last time. And as they sing, just begin to fight in the spirit, say, Devil, you can't have my wife. You can't destroy my marriage. You won't take my children.
Sanctuary Fellowship because there's a great work that's being done. There's a great work that's taking place. Like we've been singing today, I don't know what you've been fighting about. I know we've been fighting, right? We have things in our hearts and our lives that we've been praying about and asking God for, for victory. But today, we're laying down off our physical, our swords, we're putting them down, we're picking up the sword of the spirit. And we claim victory over all our situations right now in the name of Jesus. We're not going to be a people that on the floor crawling, asking God all the time, so when is our victory and we can have the enemy defeat us. We stand today bold in the name of Jesus, taking back everything the enemy has stolen for us. Everything he's trying to take from you. Your joy, your peace, your family, your finances. Today we take back in the name of Jesus. Do you agree? Do we stand and agree? When two or three are gathered, God is in the midst. We stand in as an army today to take back everything the enemy has stole from us. So Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would stand in the gap for us. That you will remove the enemy from our doorposts, from our homes, from our family, from our minds and our hearts. And we ask Holy Spirit to take place right now. Take place in that area where we find weakness. Lord, you are made strong. So I am not afraid to say that I am weak today. That I don't have all the answers. That I don't know the ways. But Jesus knows the way. Jesus knows the beginning from the end. And our end is victorious. Your end is victorious. Your end doesn't end in bad. It ends with a, a beautiful surrounding of joy. And people who are witnesses watching the goodness of God in your life. So today we have victory over the enemy. Whatever it is, we have victory today. Yo, there's an old school saying, punks jump up to get beat down. The enemy's a punk, and he's jumped up to get beat down today. And in the name of Jesus, the enemy is defeated. And no longer he stands on our necks, but we stand in the Holy Spirit on his neck. And we claim victory over our lives today. Do you agree? In the name of Jesus, and I pray over you as you leave this place. The enemy will not have a foothold with you. He won't have us stumbling or walking on the streets like that. We take victory over our lives today. The enemy will be defeated. We walk boldly in our eyes and our vision to see the goodness of God in this land. In this day, the next day, and the day to go. So in the name of Jesus, I speak life over you. I speak joy and peace over your hearts, over your minds. We're going to rejoice right now in the name of Jesus because we have the victory today. The victory. I speak life over you right now in the name of Jesus. I speak traveling mercies over you. And as, as Pastor even always says, because we bless, go be a blessing to someone else in the name of Jesus. My wife, I understand. Before we, before we let you out, could you just do one thing for me as the music just lowers a little bit? Could you just grab the, the hand of the person next to you? Just grab the hand of the person next to you. I want you to lift that person's arm in the air. Would you do that for me? Would you do that for me? Lift your arms in the air. And we're just going to sing that together. This is how I fight my battles. Are you ready? This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. 
This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles. One more time. This is how I fight my battles. 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 It may look, it may look like I'm so but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, that I'm surrounded by you. Just one more time. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. Lord, would you just hold the unity together over this place and over this house, God. Let the unity of the spirit of the living God be ever abundant in this place. Let the spirit of unity under the bonds of the spirit live and be alive in the homes of every person seen here today. Father, you have your will and you fight on our behalf and we trust you because you are a good God. And in Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen.